Welcome to the Tomes and Tropes podcast where books and friendships collide. I'm Becca. And I'm Carrie. And we're two friends who love to talk about books. Today we are talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue Part 2. Here is our content warning. At the beginning of each podcast, we provide a content warning for both the books and the specific podcast episode. So The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is classified as an adult book with an age rating of 17 plus. In spite of this classification, we will do our best to keep the adult content to a minimum and we will give warnings before it approaches. And with that, spoilers, we will not be spoiling any future chapters in this book other than the ones we are covering in this episode. As a reminder, today we are discussing part two of the book. If you have not finished part two of the book, go finish reading it and we'll be here when you're done. It's now time for our one sentence summaries where we summarize each chapter we are going over in this episode in one sentence. In this episode, we will be talking about part two, the darkest part of the night. Part two, chapter one. New York City, 2014. B leaves Henry at the shop before they go to Robbie's play and afterward goes to a party where he is noticed by many. Chapter 2, New York City, 2014. Addie heads up to the rooftop of her former lover's apartment complex where after her reintroduction of Sam, Addie thinks that being forgotten is like going crazy. Chapter 3, Paris, 1714. Addie runs out of money after trying to rent a room, and after thieving doesn't work, she ends up at the docks, just like Fontaine and Les Mis, and falls asleep before waking up in the back of a death wagon and scaring a poor woman half to death. Chapter 4, Paris, 1715. After a year of learning her way around the curse and using her wit to survive, Addie comes face to face with darkness again, where he tries to convince her to give up and give him her soul. Chapter 5, New York City, 2014. Henry meets his sister Muriel for breakfast, where she brings up their older brother, which causes Henry's walls to go up and him to escape to opening the store. Chapter 6, New York City, 2014. Sam finds Addie still asleep on the roof and invites her in for coffee, where Addie continually has deja vu with everything Sam does and says, but refuses to stay and allow her to paint Addie and leaves. Chapter 7, Paris, 1716. Addie steals a dress before, quote, celebrating her anniversary with the darkness, and she denies him her soul yet again. Chapter 8, New York City, 2014. Addie goes back to the bookstore Henry works at to try to exchange the Odyssey for another book when Henry is astonished that she would try this because he remembers her. Chapter 9, New York City, 2014. Addie and Henry go out for coffee where they, quote, read each other, and Addie gets too close to the truth about Henry, but he still invites her out for dinner. Chapter 10, Paris, 1719. On her and Darkness's deal anniversary, Addie dines with Darkness, and she gives him the only name that she has ever liked for the stranger she has drawn, Luke, and is determined to never give in to him. Chapter 11, New York City, 2014. Addie and Henry go to a bar where he continues to remember, and she continues to be afraid to let him out of her sight. Chapter 12, New York City, 2014. After spending all day with Henry, they unfortunately part ways where Adeline is able to tell Henry her name is Addie, and she feels hopeful. Chapter 13, Paris, 1720. Addie spends a lot of time prepping for their anniversary with the darkness, and he doesn't show, which only kindles her stubborn rage. Chapter 14, New York City, 2014. Henry's thinking about Addie on his way home, probably humming Taylor Swift's song Enchanted, if we're being honest, and looks up at the starless sky and smiles. Go us. We slid a lot of like references in those one <laughs> sentence summaries. I'm proud of us. Good for us. <laughs> now we're going to move on to our initial thoughts and reactions for part two. Carrie, what did you think of part two? I know we're only on part two, but it is getting harder and harder to stop reading at each part. I just want to know more about Henry and what the heck is going on with him being able to remember her. It's taking everything I have to not continue to read. But alas, I won't. So Henry remembers. This is huge and exciting and I just want to read. But for the chapters where we are in Paris, I really love seeing her growth into the Addie that we know from the chapters in 2014. I think the author's storytelling and character development is just so well done. She just does so good with 
everything. Um, Adeline's wit and determination is shown even more during her Paris years, and her resolve to not let darkness win is just super admirable. I cannot wait to read more. But, Becca, what did you think of part two? Okay, I have so many questions after reading part two, and... First, we get Henry's point of view. I just love that so much. I opened, I turned the page onto like part, like beginning of part two and saw that we were getting Henry's POV and I was like, (laughs) yes, I'm so excited. I just love books that have multiple POVs. So I love that we're getting multiple POVs in this book. I am so curious what's going on with Henry. I'm curious to see if he maybe made a deal with another god uh, in this world. Like, maybe it's not the darkness. Maybe it's somebody else. Or is this part of Addie's curse? Like, maybe there's, like, there ended up actually being a time limit instead of not. I'm just curious. Um, I had chills when he said, I remember you. I was like, ooh, full body chills. <laughs> and I was holding my breath when she started to tell him her name and she actually like got it out. I was so happy. Mm. I was just like all about that part. I also kind of loved that Addie in the darkness had an anniversary. Now, I don't want to confuse the fact that Addie and the darkness have a deal and the excitement that I am about Addie and Henry. Like, I don't think it's this like weird, like love triangle. I just like, I'm so interested in like her and the darkness's dynamic. I'm not like hoping they have like a relationship or anything, mm-hmm. but I was kind of hoping for a regular meeting just like for her sake, right? Just to like know that somebody was going to remember her name. And I love that we do have a regular meeting in this part. I love that he like kind of came down and was like trying to like quote woo her, even though, like I said, I don't want it to be romantic, but like he really tried to like get her to give up her life and her soul. And in doing that, it was like the complete opposite effect. Like she was like, no, like I'm not going with you and just like steeled her resolve even more. I like that his intention was thwarted every time. I like that we do get like that little bit of defeat of the darkness i hated though and i knew it was gonna happen but i hated (laughs) that she started relying on his presence and i totally understand i think anybody in that situation would would rely on his presence because like it's that small expectation it's the hearing your name when you haven't heard it in a year it's the fact that somebody else does know you you aren't just like this ghost in a in the wind Mm. And then knowing that he's the only one who remembers, right? And you get that reliance on that fact. And that just broke my heart that she started to rely on that. And then he just crushed that reliance, (laughs) which again, I think goes back to like, we're not just dealing with some guy who's like, it's, it's an anniversary, right? We're, we're dealing with, a God who knows what he's doing and a God who's trying to thwart her in every single way. So just something to keep in mind, but I feel like we learned so much in this part and I wanted more answers and I'm so excited to keep reading. Mm, So true. All right. So that brings us to our meet cute section where we talk about characters introduced and highlighted. Um, There was one in here that I didn't include um, that you mentioned in your chapter summaries. But yeah, we have B, who is we're presuming uh, Henry's good friend and seems to have like they both got their hearts broken recently ish. So I hope we see her more. I didn't include her because... I forgot about her because she just <laughs> she was only there for like a chapter. Barely. Yeah, we didn't get a ton of information about her either. So I don't even really know the extent of what her relationship is to Henry. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably fair. But when you were talking about her, I was like, maybe I started thinking like maybe maybe she will come more. We'll see. Because I feel like she's that, like, friend that Henry will talk to about Addie. So I thought she might be. We'll keep we'll keep her in a meet cute. Uh, last minute meet cute. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But with that, we are going to talk about Henry again because we officially met Henry in part one, but now we know a little bit more about him. (laughs) Yay. Can't wait. (laughs) He... We learned that he has two siblings. He has a brother who's a doctor and a sister who is an artist who we also got to meet. He works at the bookstore. And we find out he's actually the only employee because the owner is often traveling. So he basically owns it, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it, honestly. Um, Everyone is really, really nice to him. We noticed throughout this part as well. He is forgiving. Thank you, Henry. And is intrigued by our girl, Addie. So, yay! By the way, in part one, we talked about the cat that is in the bookstore at the end of part one. And I thought it maybe would have been Henry's, but we find out the cat just lives in the bookstore. So wanted to bring that back from last part because we did find more information about the cat. All right. So our second meet cute official meet cute is Muriel. She is Henry's sister who is an artist. She is free spirited. It really seems that there's an odd, potentially tense relationship between Henry and her. I think will come into play as we learn more about Henry so that is Muriel we don't really know too much about her yet but I'm excited and the last one we have is Sam Sam is a previous lover of Addie's she's also an artist who enjoys painting people but abstractly she paints friends people in her building strangers and she says that she remembers everyone except for who she did the painting one forgotten night of but she believes it is a girl so Sam just seems really like a good person. So I'm excited if we get to meet her more. On to our quotables. As a reminder, these are the quotes and parts that we thought were notable and we wanted to just bring to attention. And maybe we loved them, maybe we didn't, but we just wanted to call them out a little bit. As a reminder, these are in chronological order. So we are going to go from the beginning of part two to the end of part two and just follow along in those quotables. Our first quotable comes from chapter three, and it says she stands there until she realizes she's waiting, waiting for someone to help to come and fix the mess she's in. But no one is coming. No one remembers. And if she resigns herself to waiting, she will wait forever. One of the things I love about this book, and I think this really this quote really embodies this, is that we're getting a story in 2014 after Addie has lived this whole life. We're getting basically this new story, but we're also getting her origin story in how she came to get this curse and came to understand its bounds. We're getting both of those at the same time. We're, like I said, we're looking at Addie in 2014, and then we're also getting the 300 years prior, but we're getting how she's grown to adapt in the situation and how she's mastered that curse. I think the book talks about her exploring the borders of her curse and knowing where she stands and where she can't in those boundaries. However, we're also getting where she's learning those boundaries too. So it's really that contradictory, or not contradictory, but that complementary those complementary timelines where she's learning, but we're also getting the, okay, well, 300 years in the future, she understands this. Yeah. I like how we did get a lot of that in Paris where she tries certain things and they Mm -hmm. don't work. So then she has to like figure out how it works. I like that it was a trial and error type of thing and there wasn't like someone to guide her and tell her how to do it. Yes, exactly. We've talked about how strong Addie is before. And I think this quote really just emphasizes how strong she is, right? She sits there and she's waiting and not just how strong, but how smart she is that she's sitting there waiting. And then she realizes, well, I can't just sit here and wait forever. Like technically I could, right? Technically the bounds of this curse, like I could sit here and wait forever. I'm not going to die. But if she just sits there and waits, like nobody's going to help her. And I think this is the kind of thought that you can only have when you're at rock bottom. And I think in this situation, she is at rock bottom, right? This is when she's at the docks and she has no money and she doesn't know how she's going to pick herself up and she doesn't know what the next step holds. But she picks up herself and she starts working on her life. And we do get to see both the long-term and the short-term benefits of this change in her mentality 
I think like five years in the future from this specific point is when we get the anniversary where the darkness doesn't show. And we do get that piece of like, she worked really hard to get that home and those pieces of food. And like, she got a dress and she was really proud of the life she had made. And that's only five years in the future. And that's like not a long time if you really think about it. But I think we also get that in the New York timeline too, that she really has crafted this life where she lives and she is able to sometimes live in luxury and she's able to kind of figure out what she can do and have a life that she really wants. So I just really loved this quote that we get this rock bottom piece, but we also see the fruits of kind of where she got to go from this. Our next quotable is from chapter five. It's a short one. It says, Henry loves his sister. He does. But Muriel's always been like a strong perfume. Better in small doses and at a distance. (laughs) This quote made me laugh so hard because we all have that person in our life who's like, I love you, but go away. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't need you. (laughs) Small doses and at a distance. I think it just totally captures her. And I think this is such a testament. We've talked about this a couple of times to the author's writing that I completely could like feel Muriel's Mm. presence just from that line. And I think Schwab does a really good job at like making you feel the presence of characters and the presence of the setting in a way that not everybody, not all authors do. And I think that's such a testament to her writing as well. My first quotable is actually from chapter five and chapter six. It's just a short line. It says, don't be a stranger. So in chapter five, Muriel is the one saying this to Henry when they're leaving the coffee shop. Then in chapter six, Sam says this to Addie. This really stood out to me as a parallel that I don't know is just a coincidence because it's just a typical phrase you say when you're leaving people sometimes. Or if it is actually a parallel between Addie and Henry and these two complicated relationships that they have. It will be interesting to see, since we're now getting Henry's POV, if we get more parallels or if there's any hint to what's actually going on through their interactions with other people. So, Becca, have you noticed any parallels like this so far? I couldn't think of any other than this one. I don't know if you can call this a parallel. I don't know if this is literarily a parallel but I think the difference between Henry and Addie and how Henry is noticed by everybody and when they look at him like they treat him so well and they're so genuinely concerned about him and then Addie on the other hand like people don't really notice so I think I don't know if you can call that a parallel or if that's more of like a complimentary thing but Other than that, I haven't really noticed anything yet. Yeah, I think there is is like you have kind of like Henry as the light because everyone can see it. But like in the dark, you have like Addie. So I don't know if that's going to be a reason why Henry can see Addie and remember her. So I guess we'll see. I just want to (laughs) know. But uh, chapter six is our next quotable. This is when Sam is talking to Addie about the piece One Forgotten Night that we will talk more in depth about in the Timeless Treasures section. But she's talking about how she sold it and how she wishes she could show her the painting that she did. And she says, quote, the crazy thing is every one of the pieces in that series is modeled after someone. Friends, people here in the building, strangers I found on the street. I remember all of them, but I can't for the life of me remember who she was. So this really stood out to me because I didn't really catch this at first until I was going through, like, looking through the book. And I went back and looked at our art piece for part two and found that this is, in fact, Sam's piece. So that was really cool. We will talk about more of this in Timeless Treasures, and I won't get too ahead (laughs) of myself. But we do get to meet the artist here, which I thought was really cool. So we got to meet her connection with Addie, and we got to see the inspiration behind the art that we get to learn about in the first part that we don't know about the entire time until we reach chapter six. Um, I do love how Sam knows that it is a girl that she painted and that it bothers her constantly to know she doesn't remember who it was modeled after. And I think that's just almost like a hint, like 
she's kind of remembered. So I loved that. I loved this little section where we did get to meet Sam because I when after last the last part where we you did you dug into the timeless treasures and um they all are kind of connected to Addie's life. I did focus on that more reading through part two. Mm-hmm. And I think it highlights that there are like seven stars or something. And I was like, oh, like it's it's Addie, like something about Addie. <laughs> but I did love that we got to meet the the artist in this part and really see, you know, her impact directly. I thought that was oh, cool yeah. too. Definitely. It made it feel more we could like feel the art better in a way. Cause you knew the artist and who do who did it. Mm-hmm. Also this is unrelated to the quotable but the bird we did get to see uh get lost in paris this part which was really cool we did so we know that like where she lost it how she lost it so now we know exactly how the artist from the art piece last part actually found it and created it so love that love that little nod can we just talk about for a second? This isn't part yeah. of our quotables, but how and this is going to be adult content, so maybe skip forward like three to five minutes. But can we just talk about how heartbreaking that scene was when she woke up in that death wagon and she was surrounded by like, there, like she was surrounded by dead people, like, mm-hmm. and she that was right after she was like freezing and fell asleep and the fact that like other people thought she was dead and she like woke up and then she like wasn't i just like what a heartbreaking scenario to have mm-hmm. to go through and like i was reading it and my heart was just breaking for Addie to to have to go through that and to have to i don't know it just like i read through that and it that was just like Ah, I had a tear stream down my face. Yeah, a lot of the parish chapters were like, especially the early ones were really hard to read because like she went through a lot to get to where she was. Yeah. Having to sell her body and like sleep with the dead people like that's just not good. There were so many things and I mentioned this earlier, but there were so many things that were so similar to Fontaine and Les Mis that and for those of you who don't know quite yet (laughs) Carrie and I love Broadway shows so we anytime we can connect it to a Broadway show we will 100% but that knowing that that's what Fontaine had to go through and knowing the heartbreaking nature and like that's what killed really Fontaine in in Les Mis because she got sick and she was cold and she had to go down and sell her body and sell basically everything. She had to sell her hair and her teeth and all those things. And I'm pretty, I'm not going to say too, I'm not going to say this with too much confidence, but I want to say it was also in France that that happened. I feel like that helped me connect really well to these pieces or these, those chapters that I already had a character that, I kind of knew that was going through this. It wasn't a new feeling, but I got to understand it a little deeper because we got to see in reality Addie's feelings going through this instead of just the performance that Fontaine had to go through. And I did figure out it was in Paris, among other. Mm. Was it in the same time frame? 1815 to 1832. They said beginning in 1815 and culminating in the 1832 June Rebellion. Okay, so... In Paris. Okay, so this is about 100 years before Lehman's was set. So, mm-hmm. okay, so I guess not too too different. Um, yeah. Maybe a little more different than I'm anticipating. Either way, I think that, like, that little nod to Lehman's. I always love a little nod to a <laughs> Same. I'm here for it. Speaking of nods to famous things, we have a nod to a Taylor Swift song here. 
I think. I love it. Or at least that I thought of. In chapter seven, Adeline is thinking, not for the first time and certainly not for the last, how much simpler it would be to be a man, how easily they move through the world and at such little cost. Mm. This is obviously a very relatable quote. And it just really stood out to me because, again, it reminded me of Taylor Swift's song, If I Were a Man. I hope Schwab is a Taylor Swift fan and did this on purpose because <laughs> that would be really cool. To point out here, Addie is so strong and determined that she is moving through the world. But I think at one point or another, we as women can relate to the sentence. So I just thought that that just made Addie really relatable. Not just Taylor Swift. We're going to bring it back to Broadway. Ooh. For, for those of you who don't know, at one point, there was Bridgerton the Musical. And oh. in Bridgerton the Musical, there is a song called If I Were a Man by I Eloise. I forgot about that. And she's literally talking. And it's so funny because that's the only way I know how to say the. it's the San, I think. Because it's in that song and (laughs) like that's how like you sing it in the song. But it's Eloise and she's talking about how if she was a man, she could do all these things and she could travel and learn all these languages and all this stuff. And she is like, oh, if I were a man, I could do all of this. But like I can't because I'm a woman and I have to get married and have babies and all this, (laughs) all this stuff. So I love, I love that. I'm so sad I didn't think of that myself. I've been in my Taylor Swift era, so... That's okay. You know, me but, too. <laughs> yes. Chapter eight. Um, It's just a really quick quote from Henry. He said, this isn't a library. And I'm only including this quote because last part, we talked about um the limits of her curse and mm-hmm. how, like, she wouldn't be able to get a library card. So she kind of has to treat, like, a bookstore as a library So she stole the Odyssey and then she tried to bring it back and say, like, can I exchange it? My friend got me that. But then obviously him remembering kind of threw that plan off. But it is cool to see, like, her limits in action. Like, we kind of talked about how she couldn't get a library card. Our next quote is from chapter 10. It says, all things have names, she says. Names have purpose. Names have power. She tips her glass his way. You know that or else you wouldn't have stolen mine. I feel like this is such a pointed thing that Schwab does here and that she really does a good job about pointing out like names have purpose, names have power. It's it's literally right there. And because of this, I did a little bit of research on some names that we meet in the book and our names. So Carrie and Rebecca. And I did some research into their origin and what they mean. These are all from nameberry.org, which is a common website that parents use to name their baby. So (laughs) take that with what you will, nameberry.org. So we're going to go through, I have eight names here, and a few of them are really interesting. So I'm just going to jump in. So first we have Adeline. It's French, obviously, and it means noble and or nobility. Estelle is French and means star. I loved that. I saw that. Okay. Yes. Well done, Schwab. I need a minute to process that. Continue. Sorry. Number three is Henry. It's a German origin and it means ruler. Now, I thought this was so interesting that Henry and Adeline both mean some kind of like ruler or higher class or something like that. Like that's a definite connection there that. I just, I loved. It's all connected. I don't know what it means yet. And I want to know what it means, but I do not know yet. Okay, the next two were the most interesting to me. So in the part where the darkness is, like, she's, it's in this part. She says all things have names and she's talking to the darkness. She wants to know his name. And he asks her, like, what did you name the drawing that you had? Because that's what he fashions himself after. And she says, Luke, and it's L-U-C. And she originally thought it was for Lucian. And in French, Lucian means light. Mm. And I was like, I thought of that. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then she goes on to talk about like how ironic that it was Luke for Lucian, but it ends up being Luke for Lucifer. Mm. So I also looked up Lucifer and Lucifer is Latin and it means light bearer. 
And he, I just thought that was so interesting because he's known as the darkness. But I loved that this was the name that Schwab gave him, even though it was the darkness. I thought that was so interesting. Mm. And that both Lucian and Lucifer have something to do with the light. So, yes, very interesting. Muriel, I, I dug into her. That's an Irish name, and it means of the bright sea. I could try really hard and say that she's a wild spirit and goes <laughs> off and does her own thing, but we're just going to leave it where it is. <laughs> um, so I thought those are kind of interesting, very interesting contradictions to the characters that we know already. Um, and then I also looked up our names. Now, this one... I have always, for my name, it's Rebecca. I have always thought that it meant servant of God. That's always what I've been told. Every time I look it up, that's what it means. But on this website, it's from a Hebrew origin, and it means to tie or to bind. So Hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting, different than I thought it was. And then Carrie is Irish, and it means dark or dark-haired. Now, I'm looking at (laughs) Carrie right now, and she is. Blonde, very blonde, and has very light skin and is even wearing a tan shirt. So no part of her is dark or (laughs) dark haired, which I thought was very ironic. I don't remember that being my name meaning. I think, oh yeah. So the one I knew was Hebrew and it uh, meant accident or mishap. Which I don't know is... Is that better or worse? Uh, No, I think I like yours better. (laughs) We're going to stick with dark, dark haired. All that to say is take those names with a grain of salt and those meanings because (laughs) apparently nameberry.org may or may not have the correct answers. But... At least I feel like I did do some research into specifically Adeline and Henry and then Lucian and Lucifer, and those were pretty consistent. So we're going to go with that. We will. Maybe we can send out the link and our listeners can see what that website says their name means. I love that idea. So keep an eye out for that. Chapter 10. Addie has discovered chocolate. This is just a really quick quote. Uh, quote but I loved this reminder of when she's in France that she is still getting to experience the world that she has always wanted to that's outside of Milan so her dream is really still being lived out and I love seeing these little things that she learns and experiences throughout the book so far I felt that way about when she says I saw an elephant I was like oh my girl yes like live your life But she's getting to experience the world, which we love. All right. So chapter 12, it's, quote, but he can't be normal because normal people don't remember her. So this is talking about Henry um, after he has remembered her. So first off, I laughed at this quote because I felt like this when dating my husband because I was like, there's no way this guy is normal and this great because I had dated a, a not very normal dude who before him and was just like no there has to be a catch with my husband right now because I'm like (laughs) you're too good but I I just really laughed at this because it's definitely something I've thought before myself um but in a different context so secondly this quote really scares me I'm with Addie here I there has to be something up with Henry because he really can't be normal and remember her there's got to be something going on does he have deals with the darkness like you asked these questions too because i didn't see you ask these questions in our outline so we're gonna ask him again (laughs) does he have deals with darkness does he have a deal with another god that we don't know about but i'm nervous that goes directly into my next quotable So in chapter 14, it says, Addie, who looked at him and saw a boy with dark hair, kind eyes, and open face, nothing more and nothing else. What does this mean? Like, he knows he's different. (laughs) We notice throughout this section that people are captivated by Henry, and it starts with the girl at the bookstore who asks him out, and then the cast at the play, the girl who comes and paints on his face, and then the hostess at the restaurant makes room for him, like, in the middle of saying that he's not 
um there's no space like she looks at him and makes makes room the guy at the coffee shop who apologizes profusely for bumping into him first of all i don't think i've ever apologized that hard for bumping into somebody (laughs) in my whole life especially not new york city yeah you just kind of get bumped around in new york city like it's normal yeah maybe a glare or two but definitely (laughs) definitely not apologizing profusely but Addie doesn't see the things that everybody else sees in Henry. And we also get a slight nod to the fact that he knows something's wrong because he wants to feel, quote, real. And it's noted a couple times that he disappears. So while at the play, mm-hmm. he says he disappears. And when he's with that woman at the party, he it, the last line in that chapter is, and Henry disappears or something. I It's maybe there's an ending to that sentence but it's and henry disappears mm-hmm. i'm so interested i have three specific things i'm interested so one what does everybody else see and why is everybody so so nice to him because we don't know that yet because addy doesn't see it mm-hmm. number two why doesn't addy see what everybody else sees And number three, why is he the one who remembers? And why is he the one who remembers when he looks so similar to her mysterious man and to Luke, right? And, like, I just just want to know why. And I also, like, he knows that Addie's different. So, like, how does he know that Addie's different? So, I guess I really have four questions, but mm. so many questions. And I just want to so know. So many questions. And I'm so excited to keep reading. <laughs> but that leads so well into our last quotable, which is, quote, a cold gust blows and he pulls his cloak close and looks up at the starless sky and smiles. So, this makes me very nervous again. I'm very nervous these last, like, three quotables. Yes. Because what kind of smile is this? At first, I was like, it's a happy smile. He just met Addie. Like, they're getting along great. Like, they're falling in love. But, like, is this a, like, a evil smile? Because we, we, listeners, we haven't read part three. So we have no idea. I didn't even think of that. That is crazy. The only thing that made me think of it is because of how Luke smiles whenever like i i don't remember which parts but he specifically smiles he smiles a lot yeah so that makes me very very nervous i'm very scared i really hope it's just a happy smile like we got a little love story but i'm nervous but i also wanted to bring this up again because we have a lot of times where stars are brought up i can't remember them all but they they both say they miss the stars in the sky and there seems to be a lot of things pointing to stars like sam says that her freckles are stars estelle's name means star like there's a lot of stars the book cover is stars like i don't know what it means but i feel like it's important and something we should keep in mind and for this to be a starless sky like there Mm -hmm. are no stars here and I mean, that could be because they're in the city, right? But, like, why why was Schwab so particular in saying that this part? Like, they missed the stars in the sky, and then there's a starless sky, and then he smiles. What does it mean? Oh, my gosh. Such a good quote. I did not even think about those those things. It makes me very nervous, Becca. So nervous. Okay, so our next little section is our favorite quotes. Mine is from chapter four, and it says, there is a defiance in being a dreamer. And this happens on their first anniversary when he's coming in and trying to, quote, woo her into, like, giving him her soul. And he's like, this life, like, is this really what you wanted and all those things. And I think she says, like, there's a defiance in being a dreamer. And it's close to the end of that chapter, And I love that at the beginning of the chapter, it's like dreamer is too soft a word or something like that for what she is. And then she's like, no, like I am a dreamer and there's a defiance in it and like there's a strength in it. And I just loved that change in attitude. My favorite quote was actually next door in chapter five. 
It says, quote, 300 years she's tested the confines of her deal, found the places where it gives, the subtle bend and flex around the bars, but never a way out. And yet, somehow impossibly, Henry has found a way in. Somehow he remembers her. And I feel like it needs no explanation because Henry, we love Henry. We do. Oh, man. I really hope, like, we don't have a big egg on our face for, <laughs> like, loving Henry. Like, I hope that he's Ooh. a good person. If we are, I'm sure if there's listeners that have already read the book are probably laughing their faces off at us. And that's okay. We want to hear all your thoughts, but please don't spoil it for us. Yes, so we, You can tell us after we're done. Yes. Reading. Definitely. <laughs> Our next section is a timeline recap. This section is intended to pull all the significant events of this book into chronological order. So we're reading through and we're not going in chronological order. We're jumping between timelines. And this is not going to pull everything that happens from each individual timeline, but it will pull the significant or at least what I think are significant events that will directly possibly affect the outcome of the story. Today we are revisiting the timelines from part one and we are adding things from part two. So we're going to do a quick recap of part one as well. So as a reminder, we start off in 1698. Seven-year-old Adeline leaves villain for the first time. And I'm going to call myself out here that I know after listening to the audiobook, that is not how you say the town she grew up in. I'm pretty sure it's like Vion or something like that. Hmm. I like that it's villain in my head because I think there's a I think that's a parallel to there are powers there is power in names and the town she grew up in she sees as like a negative and holding her back so okay moving on to 1714 Adeline strikes the deal with the god that answers after dark the darkness also known as Luke so now from now on we're gonna refer to him as Luke she learns the rules of her deal, makes her first deal, and gets injured the first time but heals quickly. So this is kind of when she's learning the bounds of her curse. 1715, the first anniversary where the darkness shows up after she drugs the man. Well, she doesn't drug him, but she makes him drug himself. 1716, the second anniversary where the darkness walks her back to her house after she steals a dress. 1719, the fifth anniversary where the darkness shows his power by entrapping the servants for dinner. We did not even touch on that part. I totally forgot about that in the quotables. That was that was so scary. Like I was like, dang, like we're really dealing with like it was just a reminder again that like we're dealing with with a god that oh, has a 100%. lot of power. 1720, the anniversary where the darkness doesn't show. And that's all we have in that early timeline. So now we're going to jump to 2014. We have March 12th, 2014. Addie meets Henry, who remembers her when she tries to steal a book. And then March 13th, so one day later, 2014, Addie tries to return the Odyssey, and Henry remembers, so they go out for drinks and dinner. Addie is finally able to tell someone her name. Uh. I So going through and redoing this timeline again for part two, we are getting such a jump in time when we're going back. So we every chapter, I think once we got to the first anniversary, every previous like every chapter that's in a previous timeline we're jumping a bunch of time in between so these are years in between each chapter we have only covered two days in our 2014 timeline like that's crazy crazy so a lot is happening a lot is happening very quickly in our day in our today timeline which is what we're going to call it so very interesting. I thought that was a, a very interesting little little note. We did talk about it a good chunk already because we did. Like Sam, we got so much like a download of information from Sam, which yeah. was much appreciated. So thank you, Sam. We appreciate thank you. you. But I'm gonna read directly from the book. So the title is One Forgotten Night. Artist is Samantha Benning. 
The date is 2014. The medium is acrylic on canvas over wood. The location is on loan at the Lisset Price Gallery in New York City. Description, a largely monochromatic piece, paint layered into topography of black, charcoals, and grays. Seven small white dots stand out against the backdrop. The background is known largely on its own. This painting also serves as the front frontispiece for an ongoing series titled I Look Up to You, in which Benning imagines family, friends, and lovers have, as different iterations of the sky. Its estimated value is $11,500. So we are definitely getting insight into Schwab's genius here. This definitely has to be like each part that we get a new art piece has to be the way that Addie leaves her mark on the world. Because now we have Sam's painting that has seven distinct dots that stand out in the backdrop, which is obviously representing Adeline. So this painting is pretty straightforward since we got a lot of information about it from Sam in chapter six, but I am just overall loving the art piece and it really helps center your mind. Like you were saying, Becca, like you paid more attention to it in this part than the last part. Um, So I just love that um, you just have this little piece of Addy that's going to be in history forever. Um, It's being presented in the museum just love it and yeah yeah I thought this was so interesting and I just picked up on something else that you said about the piece is that this was in this was created in 2014 and we're only in March of 2014 which means that the Sam relationship was so recent that I didn't realize that because in part one we talk about Toby and she we I got at least got the feeling that she had been with Toby for a while right Mm -hmm. that that was a constant thing but for Sam to have painted that in in 2014 I mean that's only two months really that she would have had time to do that so that is also a very recent recent relationship that I just caught when you were reading that. Our last section is called the sevens. As we talked about in part one, there seems to be a regular occurrence of the number seven in this book, starting with the seven freckles. So last week we went over the seven freckles, the seven parts in the book, the seven loves she will have, the seven lives she will lead, the seven gods watching over her, the seven stars on the cover of the book. And I'm going to add one in this that I feel like I should have caught last time, but it's the seven art pieces that we're going over. So each part from what, at least so far in the book, and I feel like I probably should have done a little bit more due diligence here. I mean, we don't want to see spoilers, so we have to be careful about how much we're looking in the book ahead. True. But so far, at least part one and part two have had art pieces. So we're going to dig into the art pieces as well, just like Carrie has done. So part one, we got the first art piece. We got the second art piece here. In part two, I feel like we got, we didn't get too many additional like lives or, and we don't have an additional God yet. So we, those are going to be the two that I think will come in the very near future. But I So last time we talked about we didn't know if Toby was going to be considered a love of her life. I think we can pretty much with confidence say that Sam is probably a love, especially because she got an art piece that was pointed at like it was so heavily a part of part two and it was like in the book right it was that Mm -hmm. part two art piece so I'm gonna give Sam that lover spot. So we at least have two, possibly three lovers so far, which is we have Henry, we have Sam, and we have potentially Toby. We're going to reserve that spot as a pencil in, not necessarily a a pen, but I think that's the addition that we have to the sevens for this week. I think with choosing our seven lovers is going to be hard, especially when we're so early in the book. Yeah. And one thing she said in part two was that she only really has passionate 
lovers or passionate experiences, not like full on relationships. So I'm interested to see if there's more to that. And I didn't look into this more, but it, part one mentioned something about at some point in New Orleans, there was Yeah. someone. So I'm excited to learn about whoever that was. Yeah. I think that's a really good point in like what are we going to define as lovers because I'm also I'm very interested in if Henry is actually going to be one or not because I don't I hope so. I hope so too, but you brought something up that you were like he smiles and we thought it was a happy smile but it may be a bad smile like now I'm real nervous you made me nervous <laughs> I'm so sorry I am not sure but I I think Sam we can pretty confidently give one of those spots to like I said especially because of the art piece and because the visceral reaction that Addie has when she sees her mm -hmm. but Yeah, I think you're right. I think those are going to be interesting and we're going to have to figure those out as we continue to read. yes I'm so excited Well, that's it for part two of Addie LaRue, but we still have our weekly recommendations. So this week, my weekly recommendation is the Seraphic Exfoliating Mitt. It is, I don't know where I read this, but I read about like exfoliating in the shower and how it's supposed to make your skin really soft and it's supposed to help like the blood flow to your skin, I guess. I don't really know if that's true. It may have just been clickbait when I read through it, but I bought a an exfoliating mitt and I love it. It's like my favorite thing, especially... after you like shave your legs and you like exfoliate afterwards and then you go back with the razor and get like all the like extra little hairs your skin is just like so baby smooth and it's so nice so highly recommend it it's a great time Good to know. I love a good exfoliating thing. yes it's very nice I kept with the beauty type of or self-care type of theme here nice that you had. So I have a scalp massager as my weekly rec. So I actually have two. One for me in the shower to like really get the shampoo and everything. And it just feels amazing. I have a second one for my dogs <laughs> because So smart. it really helps get like their hair because they're golden retrievers. So they shed a lot and their their coats are so long that they just need that extra. My fingernails aren't long. So it really helps get in there. 10 out of 10. Thank you so much for listening to us today. For more content, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Tomes and Tropes Pod. Or if you have thoughts about this episode or this book, email us, us at tomesandtropespod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on getting Henry's point of view, why Henry can remember Addie, and what additional questions you have about Henry after part two. We'll see you next week. Stay curious. Keep reading and craft And craft your your own own story. story. Bye, y'all.